All right. Can you all hear me okay? Yes. All right. I want to welcome you all. Before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, what a privilege to come before you in prayer. Lord, we praise you and thank you for uh, being our wonderful creator, for your patience with us. Lord, as we uh, meet this weekend, uh, we want you to be glorified. Lord, in all that we do, uh, we want it to be all for your glory. Help us, Lord, as we now uh, talk about uh, a program that you created, a program that uh, you want to share throughout uh, our church and through our community. And uh, we just ask for your presence and your Holy Spirit to be with us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we do a program we call Dinner with the Doctor. It is a church-based health evangelism, and it started actually about four years ago. Um, we actually started it as an instructional program that's, uh, to educate people on how to implement a whole food plant-based diet as an approach for treating, preventing, and reversing disease. Uh, we, our, our desire is to provide accurate, scientifically based, and scientifically sound information to help them implement this program into their lifestyle and to provide them with the tools that are needed to, to do this, because as our, our previous two speakers have talked about, and this is kind of a nice progression uh, after Dr. Cooper's talk, hers is a, a, a medical practice-based, ours is a more church-based, but getting people to implement and giving them the tools is difficult, and sustainability is difficult, and one of the things we try to do is sort of nurture them along to sort of provide some of that sustainability. So why dinner with the doctor? Well, Reaching lost people with the Gospels become increasingly difficult, particularly in our postmodern, secularized society. Less than 20% are actually in church, and only about a third of U.S. Excuse me, one third of U.S. adults are religiously unaffiliated. So it's becoming a bit more of a challenge. So we ask ourselves the questions: Can Christians make an impact on a postmodern culture? And secondly, is the gospel relevant in a secularized society? Our Savior met the spiritual, social, and physical and mental needs of hurting people. And we use Jesus' model because I think Jesus' model is pretty clear. Find a need and meet it. The church is the body of Christ, and we're actually to meet people's needs in Jesus' name with the ultimate goal, and that's important, the ultimate goal of introducing them to the one who meets our deepest needs. So we are intentional in protecting the purpose of the program and that it is to promote health. However, we are always making participants aware of spiritual programs and events that we conduct at our church as well as area churches uh, in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. Um, We also feel strongly that as Jesus healed without uh, sort of what we call a bait and switch program, we too want to serve in a disinterested benevolence in order that we may create a trust and a friendship. Because when we develop that trust in the friendship, they then want to hear about other things that maybe the Seventh-day Adventists are doing as well. So we started this in 2012. It was actually going to be a pilot program. It was going to be just four lectures. We were going to do it over a four-month period, and that was going to be it. Uh, We had four core topics, heart disease, weight management, diabetes, and cancer, the same things that the other physicians have been talking about. We provided them with a whole, uh, a full whole food plant-based meal and then some notebooks with recipes and lecture notes. However, God had a much different plan than our four program plan because we are now in our fourth year and actually have expanded the program because the community really latched on and embraced it. So we felt the need that God was sort of telling us that we needed to do more than what we were going to do with our simple pilot program of four uh, lectures. So four years later, we've expanded. We now have cooking demonstrations as well. Um, We are generally filled to capacity, as you'll see with some of the pictures I'll show you. And the community has embraced it because it's it's a non-threatening way to meet some of their needs, which then provides a bridge to bring them to spiritual uh, factors as well. So I put this up here just in case any of you all are interested in starting something like this at your church. Um, Phyllis Smith, who's actually here at the the conference, uh, she just got here today, and she'll be here this evening, but she said it was okay to give out her information. If you want to talk to her, um, I also will give you my information at the end of the talk as well, Um, but there it is. 
So what are the people that make it happen? I will tell you that in order to do dinner with a doctor, it does require a lot of church involvement. Our church philosophy, our mission for our church is that every member is involved in something. So we tend to try to try to get all the church members involved, maybe not all in dinner with a doctor, but in some sort of evangelistic outreach program in our community. We generally have a couple of greeters at each one, several at registration, some deacons. The kitchen staff is, of course, big. People to take blood pressure, uh, people to decorate, help set up the day before. And I highlighted the, the minglers because we feel that this is one of the most important components of Dinner with a Doctor, and that's having members and our Bible workers mingle with people, sit with them, get to know them, because that's how you bring them back again and again, is they, they develop a friendship and a trust with you. So the minglers are very important. Advertising, quite honestly, we don't do a lot of advertising. We find that word of mouth is very powerful. After people come to a, a, a dinner with a doctor or two, they tend to come back, and we are constantly encouraging them, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite your coworkers, invite your family, and that works very well. We also provide a reminder phone call, which they appreciate, um, and that's an automated phone call that, that Phyllis Smith has set up, basically calls them, reminds them that we have dinner with the doctor coming up, tells them what the topic for that particular month is, and the time just reminding them of all of that. We send out flyers, we provide flyers for our members. This is for one coming up actually the Monday after this conference. We got one in a couple of days. Um, so the flyers are very helpful. The Bible workers like to use them. We also will go door to door with these in the community. Um, it runs on a calendar year. We uh, start in January. We've been showing forks over knives the last uh, three or four years. That's a nice introduction to this. Um, we then start the first Monday of February with our first what we call full dinner with a doctor. Subsequent months we alternate with demos, and so it's a full dinner with a doctor with presentation, then demos and alternating like that. We do take three months off through the year, June, July, and December. Um, we find that the summer months tend to be a little more difficult to get uh, people out to, but uh, we've actually gone as far and, and we've done June before um, and only taken one month off. But uh, I think our staff got a little bit uh, burned out, so we, we backed off this year. and We actually took June and July off, and then we'll take December off as well. Our budget, uh, set roughly $7,500, and quite honestly, we are always under budget. We don't spend all of that, but our church budget, we spend over 50% of our church budget on outreach and evangelism. So this is a fairly small uh, dollar figure for our outreach. And uh, we use it to, to uh, buy the food, supplies, decorations, a little bit for the flyers. So it's not a large amount when you figure it's spread over nine to 10 sessions. It really is uh, pretty inexpensive. So what does it look like? Well, people arrive, we register them in. Some, quite honestly, when they come the first time, they're a little bit hesitant sometimes to give their full contact information because they're not quite sure what's going to happen. They're not sure if they're going to get a bunch of phone calls for it, from us or, or they're going to get a bunch of stuff in the mail that they don't want. So it's, it's really interesting. Some will, will give their information. Others will be a bit hesitant. And then without fail, at the end of the, the session, they'll be coming up, you know, I didn't give my name and number. Can you, can you put down my name and number? Because I want to be called and reminded for the next one. Because they see that it's something valuable to them. Um, we then serve the meal, uh, have prayer with that, because a lot of, in fact, most of these people are unchurched. Some are church, some are Catholics, some are Baptists, Presbyterians, and then some are just completely unchurched as well. Uh, announcements, we give away, um, we have drawings for giveaways, we give away books or DVDs, cookbooks. Um, then we'll have the presentation, then closing prayer and announcements and reminders for the next month's program. So what does it look like? Well. Lots of, lots of fun at registration. Um, we generally have at least three or more people at registration. Um, we do it by computer. That's way we can keep a nice database of our attendees. Um, our members are there to help um, sort of walk people through and get them registered. Then we send them and have their blood pressure taken. And this is a nice little tool. Um, sometimes before our diabetes talk, we'll actually do blood sugars as well and that can be helpful for patients as well. We give them a notebook, and they bring this notebook with them each month. The notebook, they'll keep their recipes in, they'll put their lecture notes in, and uh, they find that very helpful. 
And um, they like the recipes. They, they, they want the practical, hands-on kind of stuff. So what does it look like for food preparation? It takes a fair number of people to put this together. And as you can see in the kitchen here, there are uh, six or eight people there. They're just preparing. Then we got people um, that are out on the serving line as well. Um, people that are uh, delivering food, taking away dishes, those sorts of things. Um, and we get a lot of our members involved this way, and, and they enjoy doing this. It's a good way for them to connect with our community. Then it's time to eat. We send them through uh, the serving line. We have our members serving them and uh, providing. It's a tasteful, it's a very, very tasty, whole food, plant-based meal, which for a lot of these people, a lot of them have never sat down and eaten a meal without some meat in it. So it's a little bit uh, challenging for them at times. But uh, we, without fail, people come away saying, that was really good. I didn't know that we could have such a good meal without meat. So um, as you'll see from the pictures, our attendees are of all ages. Uh, we have children attending. We have young people. We have middle-aged and, and older people. It's a whole spectrum of, of people. Um, the lecture is while they're eating. So they're actually sitting in tables much bigger than this, but tables like this. They're actually eating their meal and listening to the lecture. We generally have a full house, as you can see here. Um, essentially, every chair is full. We can accommodate about 120 people, and then we start putting tables in the back and start putting uh, chairs around the side to accommodate people, as you can see here. So um, a very, very popular program. And again, it's the word of mouth and the power of God that sort of keeps it going. I want to show you one thing real quickly. We'll talk about it. See that right there? That is a camera. And actually, we've changed how we do our demonstrations now. We used to do, and I'll show you a picture in a moment, we used to do multiple stations and rotate through them. But we found that over time, it, it just seemed to be a little chaotic, too much noise with four or five people talking at the same time. So we actually do a from the front demonstration now. And we actually mounted a camera, then we project it onto the screen and have one demonstrator at a time. And our, our attendees like that a little bit more because they can hear better. The downside is they lose a little bit of the intimacy because when we were having rotating groups, there was about 20 or so, 20 to 25 in a rotating table. So they got to be a little more close to the demonstrator and got to talk to them a little bit more. But we make up for that with a question and answer period at the end with the demonstrators. So um, we just sort of trying to, to adapt and, and see what works best uh, for everyone. If you do this, you're going to have lots of questions. This is the way you connect with people. Afterwards, they're going to want to come and talk to the presenter. They're going to want to talk to the people who are making the food. They want to talk to the people from your church. They want to learn more about this. So there's a lot of uh, uh, discussion and interaction afterwards. And quite honestly, that's what makes this work, is that, that, that close contact, that interaction with people. It's, it's not having a lot of distance between the, the people working this, but, but much closer. You, you start to learn people's names, and, and I'm thankful for name tags because sometimes it's hard to remember because you're talking about 120 people, and maybe the next time 30 of those don't show up and 30 more new ones show up. So there's a lot of, lot of interaction, and, and the more you can learn names and connect with people, the more it's going to be successful. So the demos and dishes, that's what we call our cooking component of this. We call it demos and dishes. Just before that, we will have a 15-minute uh, physician-led health talk, and I'll give you the titles of some of those talks in a moment. Then we have the, what I call the practical demonstration on how to prepare the foods. And more than just preparing and how to prepare, we also tell them where to buy these foods, how to do it, how to avoid certain things, what are the nutritional facts. Um, we even get to certain basics as how do you cut up vegetables? Because one of our demonstrators made the comment uh, last month, she said, you know, I didn't know how to even cut up certain vegetables. So she'll show you how to do things that many of you all take for granted. But, you know, a lot of the people that come to dinner with the doctor are opening cans and boxes, and they don't really know what to do with a fresh vegetable or a fresh fruit. So, so we try to get down to the nuts and bolts of that practical component, and people really appreciate that. We've also had a sort of a shop with me component where some of our uh, demonstrators will take people out shopping because we try to prepare things that are not too unusual that they have to go to a health food store to buy. We try to get things that are going to be found in your common grocery store. 
We also had another program called Cook With Me, where people would sign up and they would have one of the demonstrators actually come to their home and prepare a meal. We usually try to get two or three people together at the same time so we can serve several people, but they kind of like that too, where they actually come into their home and help them cook. So what does demos and dishes look like? Pretty similar. We have the registration to get the notebook and the recipes, blood pressure announcements, and then we have three or four. Occasionally we've had up to five demos at a time. Then we have our closing prayer and announcements. These pictures are actually from when we did the rotating stations. You can see there are going to be several stations here from above. This particular one, we actually had five stations rotating. Um, and when you get 100 plus people, um, it can get a little noisy in there. So that's why we've changed our, our format just a little bit. But they did like this. You can see it's very up close and personal. Samples are served, so they get to taste everything. We're still doing the samples as well. But uh, with this, they got the samples as they're having that specific dish uh, demonstrated to them. Um, this is a short video on uh, what has happened with Dinner with the Doctor.
This was actually made after our first year. So this was, this was back in 2012 at the end of our first year. And those are just some of the testimonials that we had. I'm going to show you one at the very end of this presentation. Actually, it's uh, the lady in blue referred to uh, friends of theirs that were coming, a couple that's been coming. We're going to highlight them at the end because that, that gentleman almost died. And uh, he, he has made some remarkable changes. So we'll, we'll see that. But it's, it's always reassuring to know that, that the program that God has laid out works like it does. So testimonials are very, very helpful. So the core presentations, um, basically the first one is on heart disease, the next is on weight control, the third on diabetes, and uh, uh, thir- fourth one on cancer, and then the fifth one we do is why do I get sick and what can I do about it? Because we often have our patients say, why, why am I sick all the time? And what, what, what can I really do about it? And that's really the eight laws of health and, and immunity is what we talk about in that one. Have some shorter ones that I usually do before the uh, cooking demonstrations, uh, one on label reading, one on where do you get your protein? Because as you all know, if anybody's <laughs> hooked up with whole food plant-based, that's the first question you're going to, where do you get your protein? Uh, sweeteners, that's a common question we get. And, you know, we'll kind of try to dispel some myths about sweeteners. Same thing with oil uh, and what to fill up on. That's sort of a mini version of the, uh, of the, the uh, weight loss part. And then food addiction, because food addiction is a real thing. And, and so we present uh, what food addiction is from a physiologic as, uh, standpoint. People really enjoy hearing that as well. So very quick, what I'm going to do now is, is I'm going to take those four core presentations. I've diluted them down significantly. I'm not going to go over each slide. I mainly want you to see sort of how we go through these and what we present to people. But understand that about 80% of the slides are taken out of each one of these presentations. Um, I like this quote. It says, the doctor of the future will give no medicine, but will interest his patients in the care of the human frame and proper diet, the cause and prevention of disease. And interestingly, this is from Thomas Edison. Um, We show them about heart disease and how many people are dying from heart disease. The fact that even young people have atherosclerotic findings. Um, The absence of artery disease in these populations. And of course, what they have in common is that they all are on a uh, whole food plant-based diet. Um, The standard American diet, you hear that phrase thrown around a lot. It's mostly processed and refined foods, a lot of meat and dairy, and very few fruits, vegetables, legumes, beans, and unprocessed foods. Um, Just like Dr. Cooper was talking about in in her presentation, I like to teach people a little bit about what the pathophysiology is in lay terms so that they can understand a little bit why they develop heart disease, why they get diabetes, and, and just give them a little bit of information so that they're not just coming to something and saying, you need to eat better. We need to explain why what you're eating is causing the most common diseases that we're seeing in America today. So we teach them a little bit about uh, the inflammation that's involved in heart disease and how a thrombus forms. We teach them that that stents are temporary, that stents do kind of plug up the problem temporarily in one spot, but I point out that there's still remaining plaque, and if you don't make lifestyle changes, it's just a matter of time before you're going to need another one. Go through the fact that we're just treating symptoms. Uh, I like this. Uh, Clinton's heart doctors, he had a surgeon and a cardiologist. One of them said, it's not the result of his lifestyle or diet, chronic, we don't have a cure. The other guy said, it's progressive, we don't have a cure. Well, I think uh, President Clinton or former President Clinton sort of proved them wrong on that. Go through the things that they can't change. They can't change their genetics, their age, or their family history, but I do say there's a lot of things that you can change, and particularly what you're eating and your lifestyle. Uh, teach them a little bit about cholesterol, the HDL and LDL, um, ways they can modify their cholesterol, and uh, sort of put it into little cartoons that uh, make sense to them. Uh, like to throw a little humor. It says, with this new drug, cholesterol forms outside of the body where it can't clog the arteries. And I say, you know, if cholesterol did look like this, people might pay a little more attention to their cholesterol level. Uh, Tell them about refined oils and oils that occur naturally in foods and the difference between the two. Metabolic syndrome, a very important thing. We talk about this both in the heart disease talk as well as in our diabetes talk. Uh, Show them that this has been done before. And angiography uh, has shown that we can reverse uh, cardiac disease. This is from uh, Dr. Esselstyn, his sort of do's and don'ts. Um, These next two are from studies that Dr. Esselstyn has done. Most of you are probably familiar with that. 
Uh, this is a bigger study that was published last year, two, 2014, uh, with almost 200 participants showing that a whole food plant-based does work. Talk to them about prehypertension, because you know nowadays, most people come into the office, their blood pressures are running 130, 140, 150, and they think that's okay. Um, talk to them about salt and how much salt we get. For some reason, the men, men sort of pay attention to this one here on impotence. They're interested in, in heart disease. Talk to them about side effects that are involved with the statins that are really prescribed fairly frequently today. Um, talk to them about fish oil and why that's not necessarily the panacea for heart disease. Uh, oils in general, why olive oil is not necessarily a health food and, and sort of tease out the Mediterranean diet findings and help them understand what that really means um, because there's a lot of misconception on that. Talk to them about where they can get omega-3s healthily through a whole food plant-based diet. Uh, I don't know why I went through that one so fast. This is one that uh, I like to point out to our, our Adventist friends uh, that are eating vegetarian vegan diets. I personally was on an unhealthy vegetarian diet for a while. Then I became an unhealthy vegan for a while. And eventually I've started to realize that there are other things that I need to get out of my diet that I can still call myself a vegan, but I can be unhealthy. And so we like to teach them things about that. Um, a lot of people look like this little guy here wants to pull his hair out after this. They're like, well, what am I going to do? You know, I, I'm a meat and potatoes kind of person. So we, we help them with you know, keeping it simple, talk to them about some of the transitioning challenges. Uh, I like to show this cartoon. It says you have two choices. We can perform triple bypass surgery where we take a vein out of your thigh, open up your chest, sew it onto a vein in your coronary artery. This will cost $100,000. You're going to be kept up for, or laid up for two months. Or we can put you on a whole food plant-based diet. And the, the patient says, a vegan diet? Gee, doc, that sounds pretty extreme. Well, I don't know about you, but I think opening up the chest is pretty extreme. And uh, I think this sort of food is really good. So uh, just sort of letting them know that they have options. We often get a lot of questions. There's the number one, where do I get my protein? Are they complete proteins? You know, carbohydrates, aren't they all bad? Can we get calcium? Will we get enough fat? All of these things. We answer those things. We teach them that uh, supplements are not really the answer. There may be some supplements that are, that are helpful, but in general, you can get everything you need from a whole food plant-based diet. Take them through label reading and make it really simple because when you look at the label on a package, it can be very complicated. So I give them several simple st uh, steps to, to look at a label and decide if it's something they should put in their cart or put back on the shelf. And then we actually take them through a label and sort of uh, say, all right, here's a label now, and here are the figures, sort of circle those for you, and uh, then ask them, based on the, the information that they just received, if this is a good label or not, and uh, that one's not. Then we take them through the ingredients and uh, show them that something that looks pretty benign can be loaded with all kinds of things that we really shouldn't be eating. And just so you all know, these last two labels were off the box of Ritz crackers. Something that seems benign, but is full of a lot of really junk. So I tell them that that's not a good thing, okay? Then we show them a good label. This one uh, has uh, very little fat, uh, calories from fat. Uh, sodium is, is okay, about one-to-one -one ratio. Tell them that works out, and we look at the ingredients as well, because you can't believe everything on the front of the box, but uh, this one all checks out well. This is actually Ezekiel 4.9 uh, cereal. This is the question we get, where do we get our protein? We take them through um, that you're going to get plenty of protein in the whole food plant-based diet, but really show it to them in numbers so they know that I'm just not making this up. Um, tell them what happens to excess protein. Um, the second lecture we usually do is on diabetes. As Dr. Cooper pointed out, many patients just say, well, you know, my uncle had this, my mom had this, my brother had this, so they think it's all in their genes. So we try to let them know that it's not all in their genes. We let them know that this is a very, very serious condition, that one in three children born since 2000 are going to get diabetes. Um, we tell them about prediabetes and that this is the ideal time to catch diabetes is catch it in that early stage. As Dr. Arakawa showed us in our first presentation, by the time they get to that prediabetes, 50% of their beta cells are already shot. So we need to catch them earlier, or at least in this state, rather than when they've progressed because of all the other associated conditions. Uh, show them what normal blood sugars look like. This is just a partial list of what causes type 2 diabetes. 
show them it's not in the genes. This looks at the Pima Indians, 8% prevalence of diabetes. You move those same people to the, to the United States and their diabetes rate jumps from 8% to 37%. Their uh, obesity goes from 13 to 69. And we say, is this really just our genes? No, it's not. We haven't changed the genes. Here's that lifestyle that Dr. Cooper was talking about that affects about 90% of type 2 diabetics if you can get them to do it. Exercise. Explain to them that diabetes makes them much more prone to cardiovascular disease, blindness, neuropathy, which unfortunately many times can lead to ulcers and lead to amputations. Um, this particular study, I always say, you know, it's a small group of people, 21 people with diabetic neuropathy, peripheral neuropathy specifically. They began a low-fat vegan diet with a 30-minute walk every day, and within two weeks, leg pain stopped in 17 of the 21. And in four, the other four, it got better. And I say, if I had peripheral neuropathy, I'm going to try this for a short period of time. And you see the results. That's what gets people convinced. Diabetes is simply merging that diabetes and obesity together. I show them maps of the United States that shows that the obesity rates on the left and the diabetes rates on the right correlate. And uh, you can see that the southeast is very, very high. Um, really, the eastern half of the United States is, is just uh, very high in, in obesity and diabetes uh, rates. Tell them a little bit about the, the pathophysiology. Again, some people say, well, you know, do they really want to know that? Yeah, they do. They want to know what's behind some of this so that when they're making these changes, it sort of makes more sense to them. So I tell them that insulin is simply the key that opens the sugar door into the cell and made a little cartoon to show them uh, how insulin normally works inside the cell and how it transports glucose into the cell. And then the next slide will show them how insulin resistance works and how it sort of, I call it a gunking up of the system just to make it real simple. And you can see that, uh, that when insulin hits the receptor, the signaling mechanism inside the cell doesn't work as well. And so therefore, this normal transport of glucose into a cell doesn't work and glucose backs up. Now, that's an incredibly simplified version, but it works and explains to people that it's fat in the cell that causes the problem. So I tell them that insulin resistance is where the key does not work to open up those sugar doors. Show them that, that uh, when you drink a fruit juice, your blood sugar spikes up more quickly than when you eat the whole fruit. And explain to them eating the whole fruit is, is the way to go. Talk to them a little bit about hemoglobin A1Cs. Most of them should be familiar with this from their going to their physicians. This is actually a trial that uh, Dr. Arakara showed uh, in his presentation that shows that lifestyle has a 58% reduction in diabetes versus um, using metformin, 31%. It's almost twice as effective using lifestyle. I give them basically four steps for reversing and preventing uh, diabetes, setting aside the animal products, keeping vegetable oils to a minimum or preferably out, favor foods with low glycemic index, and eat more fiber foods, sort of a four-step program. And tell them that eliminating the animal products is going to get out your, your meat, dairy, and eggs, get out fat, cholesterol, and it's going to decrease that intracellular fat that causes insulin resistance. Kind of give them some options of other foods they can eat, uh, tell them that uh, the problem with the eggs really in, lies in two areas, the yolk and the white, uh, probably the shell too. Um, and then, you know, here's when we tell them to take out the animal products, that's the question we get. Where do you get your protein? Um, I explain to people that really we only need about 10, maybe 10 to 15 percent protein in our diet, but for a lot of people that sounds very strange because they're always hearing from the media that we need lots of protein and here's how we get X number of grams of protein from eating this yogurt or eating that product, but it's, it's just not correct. Uh, talk to them about oils and how excessive oils in the diet lead to more pounds, lead to more calories, lead to insulin resistance and kind of show them where the added oils are because they sneak in. You know, people don't really think, oh yeah, there's a lot of oil in those chips and in those crackers and those salad dressings. So kind of get them educated in those areas as well. Conclude that oil is oil no matter what. It's still a fat. It's 100% fat. Really, it's all, all it has is macronutrients, not micronutrients. Um, talk to them a little bit about glycemic index. But I do stress to them that if you don't have diabetes, glycemic index is not going to be as important to you. But if you do have diabetes, you're in the process of, of reversing it, reversing that prediabetes, that knowing glycemic index of foods and kind of getting them on the left Left side is the processed foods, basically, and the low glycemic foods on the right, which are your whole food, plant-based uh, items. 
teaching them that beans and green leafies and nearly all fruits have low glycemic index. And a lot of them are surprised because they've always been taught that fruits have high glycemic, that fruits are going to spike your sugar. Well, fruit juices will, but if you're eating the whole fruit itself, um, except for watermelon and pineapple, they're not, they're not that high. And so they, they like hearing that. Sort of teaching them the difference why pasta is actually a low glycemic food. It's more like a cord of, of wood. It's all packed together tightly, digested more slowly, versus bread is more loosely like a pile of sticks and digested more quickly and spikes up blood sugar. Um, teach them about carbohydrates because everybody thinks that carbohydrates are bad, but in fact they're not. And actually it's the increasing fat in the diabetic that increases the insulin resistance. Show them studies that show that it really does matter. Uh, show them that fiber not only helps uh, with diabetes and heart disease, but other diseases as well, including good old constipation. So uh, teach them that fiber, um, really 40 to 50 grams a day, and for some people that's, that's just overwhelming for them to think that they need to eat that much fiber because the average American is getting about 12 grams of fiber. Um, apples and bananas, I tell them that fruit are about 3 grams per, per serving and vegetables about 4. And then I tell them that beans really are the, they're the king of fiber, about 14 grams per, per cup of cooked beans. Um, I tell them that we're putting the wrong fuel in our body. Explain to them the, the kind of the analogy of a car. You put diesel in a gas car, put gas in a diesel car. You can keep taking it to your mechanic. Your mechanic can keep fixing it and tell you you're putting the wrong fuel in. You keep going back. It's the same analogy with patients. We put the wrong fuel in our body. We keep going to the doctor and asking for a pill, fix it, and then we go out and put the wrong fuel back in, go back to the doctor again. It's that perpetual cycle of, of, uh, of illness. I always warn them that you need to work with your physician particularly for diabetes and hypertension and heart, cardiac disease, that you're going to likely need to decrease and hopefully eliminate medications. So I encourage them to work with their doctor when doing this. Uh, show them another study that basically shows that this does work. We're not making this up. We give them, you see at the bottom, I give them references for, for journal articles to know that we're, this is in the, the science and, and it's not something that Dr. Holly just made up. Um, I always summary for, for the diabetes one, the last thing I tell them is to turn your stress over to God um, because I think that's really important. We talk about the spiritual connection. Um, the diet one is, is a very popular one because, as you know, uh, the majority of Americans, about two-thirds of Americans are overweight and about a third of those are obese. Um, and in children, it's becoming uh, really an epidemic, which then is leading to an epidemic of type 2 diabetes in children as well. Um, I show them maps, and I actually do a different way of showing them, but I'll show them maps over five-year segments and show them how the obesity rate is just increasing uh, throughout the country. And then I ask them the question, you know, did the genetics change? Obviously, no. Has the diet and lifestyle changed? Absolutely. That's what's leading to obesity. I really stress the fact that we need to focus on science, evidence-based medicine. Stay away from the marketing and advertising, so get good, unbiased information. Show them what a BMI is and where the normal is. Um, give them a cartoon that says, well, well, it seems your weight is just perfect. You just happen to be 11 feet too short. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's a problem today. Uh, talk to them about Weight Watchers and Atkins diets and the problems with those diets and why they don't work and why they, the, it's not uh, sustainable. Um, talk to them about the fact that people choosing a whole food plant-based approach they are four times as more likely to stick to it. Because you know what? You're not having to limit the calories. You're simply choosing the right foods and eating to your full. People like the idea that they can lose weight and still eat and feel full. They don't like going around feeling hungry. Uh, talk to them about a simple thing like drinking a can of soda and how that influences their weight and how even the artificially sweetened uh, drinks confuse the mind's ability to judge calorie content. Snacking, I try to discourage snacking, telling them that uh, uh, women have a 38% higher risk of obesity and men actually an 88% higher risk of obesity when they snack, and it just depends on what they're snacking on. Talk about food addictions and the fact that chocolate truly can be addicting, that dairy can truly be addicting, and that refined carbohydrates can truly be addicting, and show them this, the physiology behind that. Um, give them the, the things that provide higher long-term success. Um, and show them what works, what doesn't work. Show them the foods that we're eating, okay? 
and that 60% of the calories in America are white flour, oil, and sugar. It's a donut. It's a donut. That's right. Thank you. That's exactly what it is. Uh, macronutrients and micronutrients, teaching the difference between the two because macronutrients are just calories. Those are, those are the donuts and the chicken nuggets and the macaroni and cheese. They don't have the micronutrients. Teach them that phytochemicals don't come in, I mean, they can come in supplements, but they don't work as well that way. You need the whole food. You can't just start, start cherry picking these supplements out. It just doesn't work that well. Um, tell them we want to eat on the left-hand side of the micronutrient density scale and stay off the right-hand side because that's just going to provide calories. This is going to provide true nutrition. Can I just exercise? Well, I show them, and I, I took out a bunch of them, but I show them different things. If you eat certain things, eat this cookie from uh, Panera, then you're going to have to walk for an hour and a half just to break even. Show them that when they eat their McDonald's fries, they're going to have to go biking for an hour and 15 minutes just to break even. And they're surprised to find that they can't just exercise away their bad habits. This says you've got to start eating out of a different parking lot. <laughs> I encourage them to start eating out of a different kitchen, perhaps. But uh, um, we talk a lot about oil, and we step on some toes when we talk about oil, because I can tell you I used to think that uh, people that kind of tried to stay away from the oil were really just sort of fanatics and crazy and all that, but I'm convinced now that we do need to watch added oil. And yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and coconut oil is not the miracle oil. Um, I, I give them the facts behind this. There's a whole story behind how coconut oil got to be the miracle oil, but the reality is it's still an oil, and its saturated fat is, is actually about twice what is in lard. So uh, oil is oil no matter what. So uh, carbohydrates, people are really confused about that. We teach them the difference between a refined and an unrefined carbohydrate. Um, calorie density is really important. I, I often tell them if you're going to walk away with one bit of information, walk away with the fact that calorie density is important and you want to eat the vegetables, fruits, unrefined carbohydrates, and legumes that are all on the low calorie density. And calorie density is just the number of calories per any given weight of food. Very simple concept. And show them that even though nuts and seeds are way over here on the high calorie density side, doesn't mean you can't eat them. It just means you shouldn't be eating bag, bagfuls of them. I tell them that you want to eat what you can put in about the palm of your hand, which is about an ounce of nuts. They can, they can deal with that. So calorie density, very important. Talk to them about satiety or feeling full because, again, that's a big complaint. You know, I want to feel full. I tell them on this approach, you can feel full. Show them that 400 calories of oil fills you up this much, 400 calories of chicken this much, and if you put all beans and vegetables in there, then you fill up your stomach. Yeah, not to mention all the, the micronutrients you're getting. Show them 100 calories of chicken nuggets, which is really two chicken nuggets, and then show them a, quarter, a cup and a quarter of vegetable lentil soup. You know, I say, which 100 calories would you rather? You can eat four, four bowls of this, get 400 calories. It's going to give you eight chicken nuggets, and you're not going to be full. So tell them this is the winner. I show them that the three longest living populations are in Italy, Japan, and or excuse me, the three living in, in Loma Linda, California. For some people, many of them don't know about Loma Linda, California, so I tell them it's the Seventh-day Adventist. And then I say, well, what are the four things or five things they have in common? Because it, it doesn't matter what each one does, but let's look at the cross, crossover. And it's that they eat a plant-based diet, they don't smoke, frequent moderate activity, social engagement. And they eat a lot of beans. Those are the five things that those populations have in common. And then I teach them at the end of that that they need to, to put all of this together in the lifestyle approaches that we all know uh, that our people need. This is um, one of the, the spiritual slides that I show. I usually show this one particularly in the dieting one because temptations to indulgence of appetite possess a power which can be overcome only by the help that God can impart. But with every temptation, we have the promise of God that there shall be a way of escape. Why then are so many overcome? It is because they do not put their trust in God. They do not avail themselves of the means provided for their safety. And I stress the fact that these changes are difficult. They're difficult to initiate. They're difficult to sustain. And that when you seek the power of God, that's going to give you much more success than when we try to do it in our own power. The last core presentation that I'm going to show you is on cancer, um, basically show the leading causes of cancer. And this surprises a lot of people that one out of three females will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their life, and one out of two males would be diagnosed with cancer. Again, for male, usually the prostate cancer. But people are surprised to hear 
that we all have little cancer cells growing and that our chances of being diagnosed with cancer are really quite high. Uh, show them a little bit of how cancer grows and how the immune system is involved in cancer. The fact that uh, only one in 20 breast, case, uh, breast cancer cases are genetically related. They're often surprised to hear that because they often will say, well, I thought because my mother and my sister and the, guy, the lady down the street had it that we were all doomed to have it. Well, it, it has a lot to do with our lifestyle factors, and they're surprised to hear that. Um, they're sort of glad to hear it as well. Talk to them about the China study, which most all of you are familiar with, how our DNA is damaged, how our, when our DNA is misrepaired, it can turn into cancer. Um, stress a lot of the fact that meat is involved in um, cancer. Uh, particularly cooked meat, well-done meat. Uh, I like this one for the prostates for the gentleman. It says, relax, Mr. Miller. It's just a standard prostate exam. And uh, this is where I usually encourage the men to, uh, to look at the hand size of the primary care doctor that they're selecting because that's important. Um, protein and cancer. Those of you that have read the China study and have heard T. Colin Campbell speak, you'll know that protein is uh, high protein, animal protein, I should say. Animal protein is linked to, uh, to cancer. Uh, how milk is through uh, something called insulin-like growth factor. Um, dietary fat and breast cancer deaths. And of course, United States and Canada with the highest and Japan and Thailand, more plant-based has the lowest. Uh, tobacco is a no-brainer carcinogen. I asked them what the cancer-causing potato is. That always confuses them because they thought, wait a minute, he's into vegetables, what's the deal? I tell them it's the couch potato that there are over 200 studies linking a sedentary lifestyle to cancer. Uh, stress exercise in cancer. Um, they're surprised to hear that the Okinawans have 80% fewer breast and prostate cancer, and I teach them it's because they eat a low-calorie density diet. Um, we use sometimes the, the phrase calorie restriction, but calorie restriction sounds like I'm going to starve them and, and make them count calories. But instead, we teach them that it's really just eating a lower calorie density uh, approach. So, and the other thing is that the, the anti-cancer diet, and really the overall lifestyle diet, is not a matter of going home and eating more apples or more pomegranates or more grapes. Instead, it's, it's putting all of the whole foods into your diet and making it a, a broad range approach rather than just, again, what I call cherry picking it. Um, they're also surprised to hear that it, cancer is not just bad luck, that cancer is really uh, related to the way we live in many cases. Now, granted, there are other cases as well, but in general, we can improve this. Um, most people don't know what a cruciferous vegetable is. So I teach them what a cruciferous vegetable is and show them pictures of cruciferous and they still don't know what it is, maybe broccoli sometimes, um, and, and stress that we need to work this into our diets. Um, explain that color is important. When you're choosing between the cabbage, if you can get the red cabbage for the same price as the green cabbage, get the red cabbage. It's going to have more antioxidants. Um, They've looked at broccoli supplements. This group at Oregon State University tried to compare to or, uh, do broccoli supplements work as well as the whole broccoli food, and you know, they don't. And uh, people are, are sad to hear that because they just want to take a supplement and make this easy. Uh, I tell them that the, your doctor, and, and maybe Dr. Cooper does write this prescription, I don't know, but uh, broccoli, one cup every day, and, and unlimited refills. But that's what our doctors should be writing today. Um, Everybody's never heard of the Allium family, but uh, you know I tell them that onions are good for you. Um, and then show them that, again, we're not making this stuff, this stuff up. American Institute of Cancer Research and World Cancer Research Fund says choose a diet that's predominantly plant-based, rich in variety of fruits, vegetables, nuts, and beans, minimally processed. There it is. And lots of color in our food. Uh, supplements, I tell them you can get lutein and a centrum vitamin. You get 250 micrograms, or you can eat one leaf of collard green and get 10,000 micrograms. So which would you rather do and which is going to be the most cost effective? Um, again, the immune system and explain how our foods influence our natural killer cells, which can in turn influence uh, cancer. And again, people are sort of surprised to, to know that cancer cells double the way they do and that the, the, the speed at which a cancer cell doubles determines whether that, that cancer is going to be detected and how rapidly it's going to grow. Um, and then I just tell them that, that it's really the solution is to maximize our health, expel the toxins, pure air, sunlight, abstentionists, and rest, exercise, proper diet, use of water, gratitude, rejoicing, benevolence, trust in God's love and care. Kind of the whole package. 
And I say, if you don't take care of your body, where are you going to live? People kind of raise an eyebrow and say, hmm, good question. So why does dinner with a doctor work? Okay, there's a lot of reasons. These are just some of the reasons that I've come up with. People are tired of being sick and taking medications. Uh, dinner with a doctor provides information that's not biased by the pharmaceutical or the food industry. It provides evidence-based information with references. It's non-threatening for many versus attending a church service on Sabbath. We've had many of our attendees say, you know what? I would have never stepped foot in a Seventh-day Adventist church because I thought A, B, C, D. There's a lot of misconception about Seventh-day Adventist. This program has allowed people to come to a non-threatening situation and start to learn that the Seventh-day Adventist have a lot of information that can help them in their health, and then it bridges right into the spiritual. As Christians, it's affirming when the science agrees with the Bible, but as for the unchurched, it's affirming when they see the Bible agreeing with science. They also see that it works and they come back. And if it works, maybe something else that the Adventists have works also. We invite them to other events. We generally have uh, evangelistic series in the fall that we invite them to. Plus, we have various programs throughout the year, sometimes weekend seminars. We invite them to come to that. And, of course, they like the free healthy meal as well. The first couple of events, we had 35 to 40 community people coming. Now we consistently have 120 to 130 coming, a few less for the demos, right around 100. My theory on that, and if you come to them and see, a few less men come to the demos. Even though we have men doing some of the demonstrations, some of the men think, oh, that's a cooking thing. I'm not going to go to that. But that's why the numbers are a little bit different. Um, Dinner with the Doctor programs are now at seven regional churches. Your handout actually says six because it occurred to me today or yesterday that there's actually a seventh church that has added in uh, Dinner with the Doctor as well. So we have it in a, in a wide-reaching area now. And these programs are very successful. Um, Dr. Jane Clark's here. She's working with one in Dalton. And uh, it's been, been great. We've had a couple of sessions there. And the last one we did this past Monday, about 100 people, wasn't it? Pretty close? Yeah. And the other thing that I see, and I see it in their church in Dalton, is it gets the members excited about something, about doing some outreach. And I, and I saw a lot of excitement there Monday night. They, you're doing a great work there. Yeah. Um, some of our, our attendees are now church members. They're, they're, uh, uh, we're baptized into our church because of Dinner with a Doctor. It's a popular event for our Bible study contacts. We have church members and Bible workers that are doing Bible studies, and they like to bring them to this. Some of those, in fact, many of those Bible study contacts have not come to church yet, kind of that same sort of arm distance thing. They don't want to come to church yet. Um, Ministry of Healing, page 295, says, Those foods should be chosen that best supply the elements needed for building up the body. In this choice, appetite is not a safe guide. Through wrong habits of eating, the appetite has become perverted. It often demands that food that impairs health and causes weakness instead of strength we cannot safely be guided by the customs of society. And note this last line, the disease and suffering that everywhere prevail are largely due to popular errors in regard to diet. And then watch this next slide. This is from a, a physician. He says, if you eat like other Americans, it's gonna be normal to be overweight, get dementia and heart disease and cancer, live in pain and to die in a hospital. And that's exactly what was said in the previous slide, that, that our diet is what's causing our diseases of today. That quote goes on to say, in order to know what are the best foods, we must study God's original plan for man's diet. And I'm going to skip that part because I'm going to show you. It's a slide that I always put at the end of all my talks. Um, goes on, uh, page 296 says, grains, fruits, nuts, and vegetables constitute the diet chosen for us by the Creator. These foods prepared in as simple and natural a manner as possible are the most healthful and nourishing. They impart a strength, the power of endurance, and a vigor of intellect that are not afforded by a more complex and stimulating diet, which is what the standard American diet is. It's complex and it's stimulating. This one says that many have expected God would keep them from sickness merely because they ask him to do so. However, but God did not regard their prayers because their faith was not made perfect by works. God will not work a miracle to keep those from sickness who have no care for themselves, but are continually violating the laws of health and make no efforts to prevent disease. And the highlighted part says, when we do all we can on our part to have health, 
then we may expect that the blessed results will follow and we can ask God in faith to bless our efforts for the preservation of health. So if we know there are things we need to be doing as, as physicians, in our own personal lives, and for the people that we are teaching, thank you, we need to do those things ourselves and then God will bless those efforts. If we're, if we're actively doing bad habits, living the bad habits, and we know better, this says that we uh, should change. This last short clip is a testimonial from uh, a couple that have been ten- attending dinner with a doctor, and uh, it's, they, they've, they've had a lot of changes go on in, in their life. Oops. Let's see, I need to wait. I was 57. I thought I was too young to have a stroke. I never even thought about or even dreamt that this would happen. When I had my stroke, they diagnosed that I had had diabetes and I was untreated for approximately 10 years. I loved everything with butter, cheese, a lot of cheese. I thought I was cooking healthy because I was taught you, you know, you have your meat, your potatoes, your vegetables. So I thought I was cooking good. I feel it's very important to share correct, unbiased, science-based information to the public because the public is getting all kinds of things from the internet, from magazines, billboards, TV, and it really gets them confused. There was a couple at our church that attended dinner with the doctor. They invited us to attend their meeting, which is once a month. Dinner with a Doctor is an instructional program. It's also a how-to, hands-on type program. We do the lectures, teach them about their disease. We tell them why they're having the problems they're having. And then we do cooking demonstrations. Once you, you give people the right information, then you've got to show them how to do it. When I first walked in, they had all this food. With your salad, your main course, your dessert, I was very, very shocked. When I switched to diet, my blood work showed that my cholesterol dropped like a rock. Everything seemed to come back into line. That's the way it is with a whole food plant-based diet. If you will realize what the causes of your heart disease, your cancer, your diabetes, your obesity, your arthritis, and then remove those causes, remove those bad foods, put the right foods in, Allow your body to adapt to them, allow your taste buds to adapt to them, and feel a whole lot better. You won't spend as much time in the doctor's office. You'll spend time enjoying life. We have learned so much. I don't know what I would have done without being the doctor. He gave Greg back his life. And that couple actually, uh, they attended our evangelistic series last uh, year. Uh, they're actually quite involved in Dinner with the Doctor program, helping us out, and they are uh, a non-Adventist couple, and uh, it's, it's just been remarkable. Um, this, is, this is one of my favorite quotes that I, I tell them, and I'll, I'll summarize it, but basically it says that the only hope of better things is in the education of the people in right principles, and this is for us. Let physicians teach the people that restorative power is not in drugs, but in nature, and unhealthful conditions should be changed, wrong habits corrected, this is what we need to be doing as part of our, our daily medical profession. This is the slide that I often end our talks with. Uh, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the whole face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with it and seed. They will be yours for food, and you will eat the plants of the field. Um, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, most of you are very familiar. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And this is what we encourage our attendees with. But our goal is not merely to teach people to live a longer, healthier life, while that is part of it on this earth, but rather our prayer is that dinner with the doctor will lead them to the foot of the cross and our Savior who can provide both physical and spiritual healing and eternal life. I close with this quote from Medical Ministry. It says, Our work is clearly defined. As the Father sent His only begotten Son into our world, Even so, Christ sends us, his disciples, as his medical missionary workers. In fulfilling this high and holy mission, we are to do the will of God. No man's mind or judgment is to be our criterion of what constitutes genuine medical missionary work. It finishes by saying, and by the way, Stephen Grabner showed this this morning as well, true medical missionary work is of heavenly origin. 
It was not originated by any person who lives, but in connection with this work, we see so much which dishonors God that I am instructed to say the medical missionary work is of divine origin and has a most glorious mission to fulfill. In all its bearings, it is to be in conformity with Christ's work. Those who are workers together with God will just as surely represent the character of Christ as Christ represented the character of his Father while in this world. That's from Medical uh, Ministry, page 24. Our church is the Eastridge Seventh-day Adventist Church. It is in Eastridge, Tennessee. Uh, We'd be happy to hear from you all. I put some contact information up here for you as well, and I appreciate your attention. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.